Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Thanks so much for joining us. Julie Wise and Horn, Steve Thompson, Dennis Matuzak answering the phones today. He is a program producer. Let's get those numbers out there for our Smart Garden Show. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. That's good for a call or a text, and Julie, good to visit with you today, and I would expect we're going to get a lot of questions about turf grass and our lawns, and I know there's a great resource available. There sure is, Steve. Good morning. I'm I'm happy to be on the air, as always, and I wanted to alert folks to a really great resource about lawns, because lawns, as simple as they appear to be, can oftentimes really baffle people. And timing of what you do in your lawns is one of the key things that uh, everybody asks about, like, when can I put down my crabgrass pre-emergent? Is it time to seed? When do I do dormant seeding? When should I aerate? All these questions. And we have a really great resource on our extension lawns and uh, yard and garden site under lawns and landscapes called our uh, Minnesota lawn calendar. And it's a chart that gives you the timing to do specific things in your lawn. So right now, this morning, uh, I just checked out uh, about crabgrass pre-emergent because I figured folks would be asking that now. And it is time to put that down. So uh, it's about the right timing, mid-April to mid-May. And uh, and so this is a good time to do that. And I figured a lot of people will be asking that question. So, so you can go to our extension site and just type in the search box, lawn calendar, and it will pop right up for you. And with the sun out, soil temps take a quick jump. Here, here's one from our text line, and I and I know uh, uh, weeds uh, beginning to grow and germinate, et cetera. That that is all dependent on soil temps. Is there a resource where people can find out what the soil temp is in their area? Uh, I believe that you could visit our soils uh, department, our soil and sure. climatology and water department at the U, and they have. Uh, they have soil temperature charts because they're always monitoring year-round. They're monitoring soil temperature, air temperature, moisture content, all of those things, and they put it all into charts. I can't give the exact link, but maybe uh, during a break I'll try to see if I can find that. I actually purchased a while ago a soil temperature, a soil thermometer. I'm holding it right here. I wish you could see it because it's kind of cool. And uh, I took the temperature of my soil this morning. Uh, because I figured you were going to ask me about this. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and the front yard, which is east-facing and sunny, was 56 degrees. 
So we have a small area of lawn in that space. So that's great. That's a actively, you know, that's great temperature for, uh, for grass to grow. And, but my backyard, which is shaded right now, it's Western facing. And this morning it was only about uh, 50 degrees, a little under 50 degrees, about 49 degrees. So still a little cooler in some parts of your lawn than others. However, the good news is, is our cool season grasses start actively growing even when the soil temperature is below 50 degrees. So you can probably see your lawns, uh, <clears throat> see your lawns uh, greening up already. All right, very good. And by the way, we always get a lot of calls and texts, and the phone number is 651-989-9226. That's good for a call or a text here on the Smart Garden Show. Julie Wise and Horn is in, and let's get started on the phone lines right away. Uh, let's bring in Mike in Plymouth. Mike, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, good morning. Love the show. So I awesome. did area- Yes, I did aeration in the fall with overseeding, and then I heavily seeded some areas. Now, can I put some topsoil on top of that? When can I fertilize those areas? And I have a creeping Charlie problem, and I wanted to spray soon. Okay. Well, uh, you can, you know, good for you for aerating. That's a great fall activity for relieving the compaction of your soil. And then to top seed over that is a great idea because it gets the seed down into that soil too where those cores have been pulled out. Um, you want to be careful a little bit about heavily seeding. I'm not sure what you mean by that, but sometimes we think more seed is better and you wind up wasting seed basically because you want to, you want to calibrate your seeder so that you're putting down the right amount of seed for the area that you have. And you can find that out on the instructions that come with uh, your seed as well as with your uh, your uh, seeder. And uh, so fertilizing, you don't want to put fertilizer down too early because it doesn't activate and you wind up wasting it. So if you look down at that, I really suggest you to go to that calendar. And if you take a look at that, fertilizing really uh, is, uh, you know, you can start doing that, um, putting down something, you know, when things warm up and it's according to the temperature uh, the air temperature around 50 or so, I think. So it looks like we could probably do some of that. Fertilizing actually is best to do in early August through mid-October. Uh, that's when grass starts actively growing and you're fertilizing uh, the grass at that point. But you can start in May. Uh, it's okay to do it starting in May through late June as well. So you can and- kind of hold off on the fertilization at this point. Yeah, and Julie, I was going to follow up. It has been relatively dry this spring, and uh, showers and thunderstorms uh, will, will be out and about today and tomorrow. Some folks saw some rain on Friday as well here in the Twin Cities. But in general, it's it's been a relatively dry spring. It has been dry, and we want to remember that because that you're going to want to supplement uh, any rainfall. You want to keep an eye on rainfall. And while our lawns are uh, pretty resilient, lawn grass is quite resilient and can tolerate uh, some dry conditions, you do want to be watering if, uh, if your soil is really dusty and dry and your plants are looking stressed at all uh, to encourage that growth also in the spring. So I know it. I'm waiting for that rain. My garden is dry too, so I'm excited for rain. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and, and Julie is one of those we, we've talked a lot so far this spring about uh, the, the tulips and the, the peonies and these other things that are really taking off right now. Because it has been so dry, is it a good idea to uh, water those emerging plants? Typically, they don't need it. Uh, daylilies don't need any help. Hostas generally don't need any help. But is it a good idea to maybe put a little water down? I think so, too. And, and you want to water deeply and, inf- and uh, infrequently. So you want to, if you're going to water, don't just go out and, you know, spray a little bit of your hose on that or, you know, soil. You don't want to wet just the top, you know, half inch of soil or so. You want to really soak it in there so that those plants, which are now starting to emerge, can take that water up. And uh, so put your, put your sprinklers out, you know, if, it's, if you have a dry condition, uh, put them out there and let them be out there for a while. Another good uh, thing to use for particularly garden beds is a soaker hose. And uh, soaker hoses administer the, the water. They allow it to drip really conservatively, and it gets it right down at the soil level where it's needed. Uh, and you, you, it's the most efficient, and it's the most uh, economical, too, from a water conservation standpoint. And you can turn those on and uh, just let them just seep into the soil and get that water right where it needs to be. We have a quick break. We have more with Julie coming up on our Smart Garden Show. The website, extension.umn.edu slash yard and garden. And, of course, our number is 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. We'll be going to the phone lines with Julie and the text lines in a moment here on News Talk, E3O-WCCO. Smart Gardens underway on a Saturday morning here at News Talk, 830-WCCO. Julie Wise and Horn is in. Our number is 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. And without further ado, let's go to the phone lines right now and bring in Ken and Blaine. Ken, you're on the air with Julie. Hello. Good morning. Um, I, have a, I have a question on clematis. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I planted a uh, clematis that blooms in the fall and it gets the small white flowers, and that has done really well for me. But I've had all kinds of problems over the years with getting the other normal spring, summer blooming clematis to bloom, and, uh, and they tend to die off for me. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um, if it's the location I'm growing them, I've heard also that clematis like cool feet. Um, I just uh, I'm kind of lost as far as uh, growing the normal type of clematis. Well, well, let's see, Ken. I am with you in that camp. I am not very successful at growing clematis. I've had trouble too, and I think uh, what has happened. I also grow the fall blooming one, and it is a really wonderful plant. It, one of the best things about it is it's great for the bees that are hanging around later in the season. Uh, some of the traditional clematis, though, there's different kinds of vines. There's one that grows on old wood, in other words, last year's growth, and those are the ones you don't cut back. And then there's clematis that grows on new shoots that shoot come up from the base every year, and you clean off the old vine and then you allow the new stuff to come up i'm more successful with the latter the the one that has been uh coming up from the base not uh not that that 
blooms back or grows back on the old wood. And that could be just the environment. It could be the type of clematis I've chosen. There's so many kinds of clematis. So you need to know which one you have or which one you want to grow. Um, it is true they like to be cool, but they also like to be in full sun, and that's the challenge. So uh, they do need a good full sun, and they also need very good drainage. Uh, we have heavy clays around the metro area. I'm not sure where you live, but you might want to really amend that uh, quite a bit of space uh, if with um, some compost or with some uh, peat moss also so that you get some really good drainage there. That's, I think, the number one problem that I've had because I've, I've put them in. I have one fence in my yard that I've tried to grow them on, not very successfully. Um, there are different kinds of clematis, too, some that are really tried and true. The Jackmanii clematis, which is the deep purple clematis that we see uh, in uh you know, lots of the gardens, it's an old variety that's been around a long time. That one is a good, uh, pretty pretty hardy plant. You might want to look for that one. Uh, and then be sure that that vine is facing east or south so that it's really getting a lot of sun. That's the other piece. To keep the roots cool on a sunny location, you want to just compost with leaf mulch uh, around the base of the plant. That will help to hold in moisture, help to keep those roots cool and temperate and just to try to get as much sun as you can uh, on the vine on the above ground part of that plant very good ken let's go to mary lou mary lou you're on the air with julie hello uh good morning steve good morning julie um my question is i'm wondering when i could move a plant i have a turtle head and i want to move it into another location in my yard and i'm wondering if i could do that now or if I should wait. And the other one is an autumn joy that I'm going to move out of my yard. Well, the, I think both of those plants will move really easily now. Um, they, you want to move these perennials when they're just starting to emerge, and that's the least uh, uh, stressful for them. It also gives them the entire season to, uh, to actually uh, kind of get reestablished. So both of those plants... Autumn Joy is real. That's a great plant, a uh, great uh, pollinator plant. So is the turtle head. And you can move most of those right now, I think, as soon as, as soon as you see them come up. And I know my Autumn Joy is already leafing out, starting to leaf out. You can just see it above the soil. Up next on the phone lines here on our Smart Garden Show, Pat and Carver. Hello. Hey, good morning. Great show as usual. So we just built a new home. And they just finished graded this week, and we're um, getting ready to put in the lawn. And what our plan was was to uh, put a – we've got a, a lot, quite a bit of sun, but some shade. We're going to put a five – kind of a five-grass mix and then put some straw over it. That was kind of old school, what we've done in the past. Do you have a better recommendation? Straw is fine. That's fine to put uh, put down and to protect the seed from being taken up by birds, essentially, and uh, to keep the soil moist. You can also buy straw mats. If anybody is uh, in the same boat where they're doing that, you can buy that. Uh, and that matting disintegrates over time. But, yes, you can put the straw down. And I think that sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, you could also consider in some areas of your lawn that are maybe less visible or that you – uh, want to try something is to do a bee lawn too. You can seed with bee lawn seed, and you can purchase those from uh, seed providers now. 
Yeah, and pollinator gardens, more and more people are getting on the bandwagon, if you will, and that's really a good thing, isn't it, Julie? Yeah, that's great. Our pollinators, uh, you know, 80% of the flowers in the world require pollinators to propagate, to set seed and keep keep their progeny going. And uh, and a lot of those crops, a lot of the crops are food crops. So uh, in my backyard, I've got black raspberry. I have um, I have blueberries. I have uh, service berries. I mean, I have all sorts of different plants that I like to uh, browse upon, so to speak, before the birds get there. And all of those require pollinators. So it's really important uh, that we plant for pollinators. And I'd encourage everybody when you're going to the garden centers or looking, uh, you know, looking, placing an order online uh, to really look for plants that are pollinator friendly and to uh, we have a lot of good resources on the extension site that have plant lists and, and to really make a, a concerted effort to plant for pollinators. That was one of the biggest uh, responses that I got when I asked Master Gardeners what they were would suggest for people to do for Earth Day. Because, you know, Steve, we celebrated Earth Day number 50 this week. And uh, that was a very uh, prominent thing that people said everybody should be planting for pollinators. Yeah, and a great goal this spring for sure, uh, and and they like a wide variety of plants. I've noticed uh, when the hostas bloom and uh, the the daylilies and all, there's a wide variety of plants that you can add to your landscape that pollinators really enjoy and thrive on. Right, right, and native plants are great mixed in with some of those non-native plants or or native cultivars, so you can do a combination uh, some people are tried and true. I want all native plants in my yard, but some people's yards, they don't quite fit the in, the look that they want or the spaces that they have. So there are some good uh, cultivars that are from natives, originated from natives, that are still great options. But I'm a, I'm a fan of a combination. I say try some of both, look for native plants, and particularly if you're looking for, say, you want to encourage bumblebees in your yard, there are a lot of good plants that are specific for bumblebees that can be found online as well. Quick break. We have more on our Smart Garden Show. By the way, the website, it is a good one. Great resource, extension.umn.edu slash yard and garden. We have more with Julie Wise and Horn in a moment here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. It is 834, a lot of calls, a lot of texts, as always, here on the Smart Garden Show. The website, extension. Of course, extension.umn.edu. And, uh, Julie, before we get back into the calls and texts, I know a lot of people on the program wonder about when can I divide uh, perennials and uh, maybe take uh, and and expand those throughout the landscape. Yeah, we have an excellent web page called Dividing Perennials. It's on our extension.umn.edu website. Uh, and one of the best things about it, I go to it all the time because I can't remember all this and keep it in my head, but um, it has a nice chart of about 125 very common perennials, and it tells you the common name. It also has a scientific name, and then how often to divide the plant, like how many, like every other year, every four or five years, and when to divide it, the timing, uh, what season to divide it, and then also any kind of note. So uh, we had the caller earlier about turtle head. So uh, when I go down to that uh, on the list, and it is indeed on the list, uh, it says to um, 
that it should be divided every four to five years, and you should divide it in the spring when the young offshoots are about one inch high, and then if you wanted to, uh, you would dig it up uh, to sever it from the parent plant. You basically take a chunk of it off and divide it that way too. So it's really, it's a great chart. And uh, I have one plant in my yard that I have to divide is false indigo, Baptisia, and it is a very fussy plant. It does not like to be moved. It does not like to be divided. Uh, it does not do well. It's very difficult to reestablish it. And so, uh, so it says that uh, rarely every 10 plant, every 10 plus years, and to do it in the spring and to remove the entire plant without disturbing the root system. So you really have to dig down. So that's the kind of great information that this chart can provide for you. Uh, Julie, follow up on the text line, and this has to do with uh, pollinators, et cetera. Uh, I, and I'm comboing some text okay. to g- gather. Number one, do pollinators like clover? I've noticed a lot of bumblebees around the clover. I have it in spots in my lawn. I really don't mind. Uh, some turf snobs don't like clover in their lawns. <laughs> and, and then what about adding clover to a, a pollinator garden area? Yeah, so white Dutch clover is a uh, an important part of a bee lawn mix. So, uh, and some people don't like it in their lawns, but a lot of people are kind of embracing it. It provides good pollen and nectar for bees, and it also tolerates mowing and still reblooms. That's an important part of a bee lawn plant. Other bee lawn plants include things like self heal and uh, ground plum and creeping thyme. But that white clover, we almost everybody has got a little bit of white clover in their lawn somewhere. So that's a great plant, yes. And what was the other half of the question? Well, it was, uh, can uh, people uh, plant clover, and is it a good time to do it? The follow-up is, if I want to put some clover down, is it too early or is now a good time? Now is a good time to do it. You could also do it in the fall as well. All right. Very good. Let's go to the phone lines. Janet in Ridgefield, you're on the air with Julie. Hello. 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 Question. Um, We have a rhubarb plant in our yard that has been in since we moved in, and we haven't done anything really to it. It never has done real well. Um, It doesn't get a lot of sun. Um, We've been in our house at least 26 years this summer. And I've been really disappointed, but is what can I do to help it? Okay. So rhubarb, rhubarb needs a lot of sun. It does. So now is a good time to move that plant and find a, a really nice sunny spot and a large spot because, as you know, rhubarb can get quite big. Uh, each plant should have about a three-by-three-foot area in a garden space. So uh, it can get huge. Um, they are also big feeders. In other words, they need fertilizer. Think of the size of the leaves that they're producing and the thickness of the stalks. So they need quite a bit of fertilizer and uh, to, to really produce that. So um, we actually have a great webpage on rhubarb specifically under our vegetables page on our extension site. Uh, we have vegetables A to Z. And if you have any questions about any other vegetables, too, you can find it there. But I'm looking at it right now. That's one of the advantages of being at home and doing the show here 
is uh, I can look on my computer and it's got all sorts of information about rhubarb. And that's, that's one of the things is the size, the sun, and then it, it does need a, a lot of fertilizer to produce those big leaves and stalks. To the phone lines again, let's go to Mary in New Prague. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Julie. Um, I also have black raspberries, and um, I wanted to know when is a good time to fertilize, spring or fall, and how short do you cut your canes, and do you cut out your old canes? Uh, I'm a new one to black raspberries. I just planted a plant last year, but uh, what what the standard with raspberries in general is, yes, to remove old canes, and usually in spring, you can you can do that. You can see the canes that have died or had winter damage on them, and you want to trim those back or take them out. Sometimes they lift right out of the ground. Um, black raspberries, too, uh, I like to start with a – I like to cut them back to maybe about, you know, 18 inches, 15 to 18 inches, and you want to choose a, a good solid bud, leaf bud, and then just prune back to just above that leaf bud. And that allows for as much leaf cover as possible. You know, you can have a, uh, as many buds as possible on that versus cutting them much shorter. And, uh, and then to cleaning out those old canes will also open up and allow more light to get to the plant. As far as fertilization goes, now uh, or when the plants are actively growing, you would want to fertilize those as well. They also respond well to mulch to keep the weed pressure down and also to hold in moisture and moderate the soil temperature. Very good. Our phone number is 651-989-9226. You can call or text the program. 651-989-9226 is the program. It is Smart Gardens, Saturday mornings between 8 and 9. Julie Wise and Horns in today. Uh, Julie, I'm wonder, from our text line, I'm wondering if it's okay to trim my alpine current because I'd like them to grow in a little bit more thick and prevent some of those stringy long branches from coming out. Um, yeah. And I, think, I, I prune all year. Okay. Yeah, alpine current is one of those shrubs that responds really well to pruning. And, uh, and, and I think you could do the pruning now to prune because you want to see that active growth. When you want to avoid pruning is in late August or so because you want to help those plants go into dormancy without a lot of new growth on them. That's going to be pretty tough to survive through the winter. Won't have time to go dormant completely. But now is a good time to do that and get those kind of sheared into the shape that you want. Uh, cut back some of those wanky branches that are kind of ruining, the, ruining that form. Uh, here's a good one. It's a follow-up on the, the turf we talked about earlier. Uh, is it a good idea, or, or should I avoid putting down crab ra- crabgrass preventer and grass seed around the same time? Uh, should I take care of the crabgrass first, put seed down later? What do you think? Well, crabgrass preventer is, a, is called a pre-emergent, and a pre-emergent prevent seed from germinating. So you can't put both a pre-emergent and your uh, seed down at the same time. You're going to be wasting your seed. Uh, it won't come up and won't germinate. And so you want to deal with your crabgrass. Uh, you can uh, do that now, and then you could seed in the fall. And fall seeding is a good time uh, because it helps, uh, and you can do dormant seeding back into November too, which will really help to establish a stronger uh, plant system in the spring. 
So you want to basically uh, do your crabgrass preventer and then do your seeding in the fall. From our text line, how do I go about getting my garden soil tested? And is it necessary to do that every year? Uh, we have an excellent soil testing laboratory on the St. Paul campus. They are uh, doing soil tests actively. Uh, they will accept, because of the uh, pandemic situation, they will only accept mailed-in samples, so you can't drive up and drop them off anymore, uh, at least not for the time being. Uh, but you can mail it in. Uh, all the instructions are on the Soil Testing Lab website. And uh, you really need to just get a soil test about every three to five years. The only exception to that is if you're changing a part of your landscape to grow some other kind of plant. So if you're going, if you're taking some of your lawn and you're going to turn it into, say, uh, a vegetable garden, you definitely want to get a soil test done at that point because you're really going from completely different plants that have different requirements. Also, if you buy soil and say you fill a raised bed and you're going to grow vegetables in that or flowers, uh, you could do a soil test of that soil as well also, uh, just to get a good baseline for the condition of that soil and to get recommendations from the soil testing lab for how you should amend it or what type of fertilizer you would put in to grow the type of crop you're looking for. All right, quick break. We have more on our Smart uh, smart Garden Show with Julie Wise and Horn today. We have Beverly in, or I, I should say, uh, yeah, Beverly in New Prague and Steve in Stillwater coming up and more from our text line. The phone number is 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. And, of course, the website that we refer to often, extension.umn.edu slash yard and garden. We'll have more with Julie in a moment here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. It is our Smart Garden Show Saturdays between 8 and 9 a.m., Julie Weisenhorn is in today. We've had a lot of great calls and a lot of great texts, and we will be going right back there shortly. But let's uh, go to the phone lines, bring in Beverly in Bloomington. Beverly, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Uh, good morning. I have morning. A cu- I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is I planted some uh, daffodils last year, kind of, uh, kind of late, and the ones that I planted last year, they come, um, they come up, and there's a there's a bud there right away, and 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 then they open up. So they're almost like cl- on the ground when the flower opens up. Did I plant them too deep or not deep enough? Or I guess I've never had that happen before. Um, that sounds to me like it's the uh, the variety of daffodil that you chose, a shorter daffodil. Um, if you plant them too deeply, they most likely won't bloom or won't, you know, so they, uh, so I don't think that was the case, but it, it sounds to me like they're just a, maybe a shorter variety. All right. Thank you, Beverly. Uh, let's go to Stephen Stillwater. You're on our Smart Garden Show. Hi, I have a lot of bent grass growing in my yard. I'm wondering if there's any weed killer that will prevent this or what I have to do to get rid of it? Oh, okay. So bent grass, uh, yeah, that's something that you're going to want to treat. 
uh, unless and especially if there's a, a lot of it. And I'm just trying to uh, figure out what to advise you on there. That's a, really a specialty of a lawn person. And um, But I would say go to our website. That's probably the best thing. And take a look at the weed section. We have a section called, uh, is this plant a weed? And, uh, and look for the bent grass information and uh, see what it says for, uh, for treating it there. So uh, creeping bent grass, I found it here. It, uh, it will grow, um, just find that here. So it's difficult to remove it. It has creeping stolons uh, and uh, that they kind of surround other grass plants. So improving your drainage and growing your lawn drier are two things you can do. So uh, core aeration is a good thing for improving drainage in a lawn. It's a good thing to do in the fall because you have less weed pressure in the fall. Uh, and so, uh, so you would want to put that on your schedule to do this fall. And then if you have an irrigation system, you would maybe want to turn that off and just turn it on manually when we need it. Uh, and to try to let your lawn just kind of dry out a little bit. So there are post-emergent treatments for that, in other words, chemical treatments, and, uh, and you can find those on our website, what, what choices you have for that. All right, good luck, Steve. Uh, Follow-up from a week ago we talked, uh, and even uh, two weeks ago when, when you were on the program, Julie, and that is about starting some of those cool weather crops, uh, peas, those types of things. Is it okay after uh, maybe you've started seeds indoors? Is it okay to, once you, you've toughened them up a little bit, uh, to put those in the garden now? Is it too early? Yeah, it's still a little bit early, but you can, you can direct seed uh, radishes and lettuces, kale, cabbage, um, uh, greens, any kind of greens, those can all be direct seeded now. Uh, and I think pretty quick, you could, if not now, you could probably do carrots and any root vegetables too. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is time to start doing some of that seeding. Hold off on bringing out plants that are, that you've started in your yard though, I think, uh, warmer, warmer plants like tomatoes and peppers. I have some peppers here that I've started and you want to hold off. Uh, bringing those out until probably around the second or third week of May down here in the Twin Cities, and even a couple weeks later if you're up north. Yeah, and peas and beans another week or two before those go out in the garden? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Any transplants you have, you really want to be careful about getting those out too early because they've been growing in a nice warm environment, (laughs) and, uh, and so they need to be acclimated to the cooler temperatures, and that's Moving them, moving them out into a protected site uh, for a few hours, and then a few, and then bringing them in at night, and then a few hours longer the next day, bringing them in at night. You can direct sow beans and peas. That's probably even easier to do that, and uh, and you could do that now or in the, in the next week or two. Uh, we've, we're quickly running out of time. Let's get to the text line here real quickly. Is now a good time to fertilize young Japanese lilac trees? Yeah, when when you see plants actively growing, when the leaves are opening up, the buds are setting, you can certainly do some fertilization. Uh, from the text line, can I move my creeping flocks now, or should I wait until after they blossom? Or uh, I would I would move any perennials now, uh, just because it's when they're small, 
things that things not to move are things like bearded iris uh, and peonies. Uh, maybe don't move those quite yet. Wait and do that in the fall, but uh, or after they bloom. But um, that you can definitely move some of these other perennials now. And creeping flocks, I think uh, those are going to start blooming pretty soon. So you'd want to move them pretty quick here. Uh, what is the proper time to trip uh, trim a Japanese yew hedge to control height? Well, you should see some new growth on uh, Japanese yews, uh, and uh, you can start trimming those back. Uh, there's a good publication on how to prune shrubs, and uh, and I would recommend you take a look at that. But yes, you can you can start pruning those now. All right, we we heard about clematis earlier in the challenges. Is it okay to uncover the clematis for this season? I would actually keep some uh, keep some leaves around the base of that plant. Again, not so much to protect it from frost or or cold, but to actually keep those roots moist and to also uh, keep the soil temperatures moderate so that they're so they're so that they're warming up, gradually warming up. Uh, finally, we have time for one more. Is there a wildflower seed that can be bought that will thrive in a shady area? Yeah, there's, we have a lot of good Minnesota wildflowers. Uh, I would check with a native plant nursery, and there's a number of those that uh, are around the state. You can Google that, or the DNR also has a list of those on their website. And tell them your your kind of conditions that you have, and if there are particular wildflowers that you've really enjoyed, that's a great thing to do. Too many people will dig up wildflowers from naturalized areas, and we two thumbs down for that. Do not do that. Right. Uh, but certainly, you can buy plants from a reputable nursery that that grows them legally, and then also uh, you can buy seed as well for some of those plants. So Good. talk with a native plant nursery. I guess is the message. All right, Julie, we're out of time. The hour goes way too quickly. Wow, that was uh, really thanks fast, for... Steve. <laughs> yeah, it flew by. Once again, uh, the website, <laughs> extension.umn.edu slash yard and garden. So much great information at that site. Julie, have a great day. Thanks a lot, Steve. You too. All right, there she is, Julie Weisenhorn, joining us here on our Smart Garden Show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.